Okay, well, good evening and happy podcasting day. This is Rachel Vote, and I am super excited. Um, definitely in a better headspace than I was last week and even the week before. So if you've been somebody who's been tuning in to kind of listen to um, the unraveling of the show uh, for the remainder of 2021, well, thank you so much for being here. We are at like, I think the third week of December already. Is it really? I don't even know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even believe that. Third week of December. We have two weeks left to go in the year of 2021. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Um, we're going to kind of continue this continuation. Who <laughs> lets me have a microphone? Um, of kind of wrapping down um, the podcast. We're getting ready to wrap up the end of season two. And uh, it's been some, some conversations about, I mean, I don't even know what to really highlight, but I was just really excited to kind of um, find some really great topics to close the year out. So that's kind of what we're doing here. If you have been here for a while, thank you so much. If you have not and you're kind of new, uh, again, my name is Rachel. But this is a good girl's guide too. You are in the right space for free content. Okay, you can check the um, info for this episode. We'll have a link for, uh, I forgot what it's called. I was going to say good girl's guide too, which is me. It's a link tree. God damn, man. My brain is fried or something today. So if you would like to find other ways to digest free content, which I just love about the intranet, because that is about like all of the places that I've gotten a lot of my development was the internet for free through mentors and reading books and so on and so forth. So those are ways that we can connect for sure. And if you'd like to some one-to-one progression, which I highly recommend if you're somebody who is maybe wanting to uh, really focus on yourself individually and streamline and gain some momentum on your personal development, then 100% reach out to me so we can do some one-to-one sessions or if you're interested in participating in a potential class, uh, that's cool. Plus the 18 years or older feminine energy group, you have to let me know to be a part of. It is 100% free to do so, but it is a part of Facebook as that's just the place where we've grown the community so far. If we find an alternative option in the future, future, you will be the first to know, but it's just great. Sales specials, lots of content always happening over there. It is um, something that started because of the intimacy in-home business that I did for, I do for parties, Uh, but it's a conglomerate basically of everything that's going on at the moment uh, in my life in terms of the coaching and so on and so forth. So man, alive, Uh, let's get into it. So today, like I don't even really know if this is what I will title the the segment, but it's kind of in my eyes, the sex education we should have been given, you know, trying to streamline, trying to clarify, trying to really get fine-tuned into what 2022 is going to look like for me in my business has been something that I've been really putting some focus into like the last 60 days. And I'll be closing out the year with that focus as well. Uh, while I 1000% of course still stand behind the fact that if you are struggling in your life, it's really important to remember that everything in your life is connected. Um, if you really want great sex, you can't get it. If you are not also focusing on your wealth and your other relationships, your mental, physical well-being, your spirituality and your purpose, they're all connected. And while you might have all the money in the bank, but you fight with your spouse all the time you can understand that it's not necessarily that we can always have it all you can have it all but not all at once and that's my favorite phrase I've been kind of reminding myself lately so um it's necessary to make sure that we touch base on the other aspects of your world especially because your beliefs also intertwine they really will you don't necessarily think about sex and money because uh why would you but I think subconsciously especially in our culture we know how intrinsically linked those things can be so it's always going to be important to put some focus into those other things um and whatever capacity whatever capacity but I believe that I I myself will have to make it a priority to 
notice, I guess, I'm trying to find the words of how to describe this, but intimacy is the core of what I do. That's kind of the declaration I'm ready to make. You know, I thought that I needed to include all the other things. One, because intimacy is so intimidating for a lot of people, but the more I talk about it, the more comfortable people get. And the more I talk about it, the more it's on the rise anyways. Like from where we were are today, from where we were when I first started in the intimacy world nine years ago, uh, prior to that, prior to that, prior to that, right? So it's only going to get easier and better from here. So I guess if, um, as long as I'm not scared to be, uh, you know, the face of intimacy, then I don't have to really worry about where it's going to go because people will catch up and there's already enough people here. And I would also probably shine a spotlight on women or feminine beings who are more open to the idea than you would think um, having the conversations it's one thing to talk about sex and positions and pounding people and so on and so forth there's another conversation to talk about vulnerability and showing people the real you and all that kind of jazz which is what the femininity behind intimacy and sex is all about so today what I really wanted to highlight was um, some like I said a conglomeration kind of some information we've gone over before but this Hopefully, now we'll be down to 55 minutes of conversation about how to feel better about sex, how to feel comfortable about sex, or how to start to do those things, how to plant some seeds for yourself. If you have zero tools in your tool belt when it comes to the intimacy world, then do not fear. I'm going to give you some today, okay? So this particular podcast, I think I'm going to break it down in three segments. Um, the first, I don't even know, I don't think it matters what order they go in, but we're going to talk a little bit about sexual identity and preference, which kind of equates to the primal mating mode. We're also going to be talking about your uh, emotions. Um, Oh my God. Well, not yours specifically, so don't freak out. And then the fundamental life force of energy. Okay, so there was a book I read, um, which I didn't finish because it turned out to be pretty religious-based. And while I liked the idea of the book itself, it... There's, there was still some shame. There was still some shame and guilt around the message of the book. But it was written by somebody in an uh, organized religious group. And I can't remember who. And it doesn't matter anyway. But one of the very best lines I read in the book was, I want my, my kids to have great sex. And it was prefaced by, I'm going to say a very controversial statement. Uh, and as somebody who is a member of a religious organization, it was kind of a big deal. And then, of course, I'm sure if you hear the statement or have heard it before, it might have given you an initial shock or something that you're like, I can't even say that out loud or nor would I want to. But if you think about it, is it not true? It's true. You know, like when you say the word kids, you probably don't want to just associate thinking about them having sex. Well, of course, you're not wanting to have, have, your, have your children be exposed to experiences before they're ready or appropriate, of course. But ultimately, when your kids are of, of the right age and in a loving, kind relationship, would you not want them to have great sex? I mean, I would hope so, right? I think you'd want everybody on planet Earth to have great sex. If everybody was having great sex, we would probably be... Well, a little bit different atmosphere, that's for sure, okay? So this first block I want to talk about, like I said, it's it's crucial that we start to kind of remind ourselves that the fundamental life force energy that we all started with is because of sex. Everything that is existing as a human being started with a sperm and an ova. Just has to be that way. It just has to be that way. And uh, until we learn how to reproduce on our own, um, and we're not talking about anything that scientifically may be advanced here, we're talking about just the basics of what humans were created to do, okay? It's literally how we got here, okay? And I always found this was an interesting dynamic because in Western culture specifically, it's such a push and pull dichotomy about sex and our culture because it's very, very much look at it, 
you know, sex sells, movies, music, TV, especially when it comes to women, sex appeal, young, youthful, all of that stuff, right? But at the same exact breath, especially in Western culture, it's also, but how dare you? It's wrong. You're slutty. It's shameful. You're guilty. Blah, 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 blah. It is such a push and pull of these two really polar opposites with not a lot of conversation of things in between, which is what I think is changing. I think that what we're doing here today, what other people have been doing, um, you're, you and your girlfriend's talking progressively about, you know, what's going on behind closed doors. That's the in-between. But it's still societal expectation-wise, it's only one or the other. It's only one or the other. Look at it. It's all here. Or don't look at it. I can't believe you're looking at it. Everything you, everything you think about yourself is so wrong. Okay. So, um, the important thing to know about your impression about sex, intimacy, whatever you want to classify your group this is, is that it all starts with programming or lack thereof. You have default programming, whether you know it, whether you like it, whether you come to understand it. Uh, but we've been talking about this together for qu quite a few years now because it was a huge hit upside my own head in terms of understanding that I didn't get to where I was on my own. And that is difficult because I think that not only as people who are emerging as young adults, we kind of egotistically believe that we did kind of create ourselves and we're here, but naively we believe that too because we don't know to question otherwise. And we have to be careful of that because that's our, your upbringing, right? My parents didn't teach me that they were teaching me how to live in the world under the assumption, of course, that most human beings, oh yes, of course, your parents take care of you, they provide for you, but whatever. But this is much on a much, 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 much deeper level about your values and how you show up, which you know, but I'm just kind of digging a little deeper on this, right? So if your uh, predominant caretaker role was not present. So obviously default would be parents, right? Some people obviously have extended family or adoption situations or whatever the case may be. If you didn't have a steady, intentional programmer in your life, then you were programmed by default. You, you just didn't, I mean, you had to, right? You just had to go with the flow of the way things were because you didn't have a choice. Like you were a young individual that was relying upon your community to keep you alive, just like we always have. And so you're like your top five people that you hang out with, right? When when my daughter says, oh my goodness, 100% she's replicating her mother. You know what I mean? Um, there's just these little mannerisms that you can see in children. And, you know, we laugh it off pretty frequently because it's funny or they're using adult terminology or whichever. But we really aren't noticing that what we're doing is creating the habit for that child. 21 days makes a habit, 90 days makes a lifestyle. And then over time, over years, over decades, we have now programmed that child to believe the way I believe, to think the way I think, to see the eyes or see the world through the lens that I have created and I was raised with as well. Okay. So it starts with your programming, your cues, the quote unquote social norms, your identity markers. And this is um, very specific, of course, to your individual experience. It will be very specific to your country. It'll be specific to your state, your city, your, I mean, probably your county as well, but your, your neighborhood, your school that you went to, the house that you grew up in, this is where you spent the most time. So this is exactly why you look the way that you do when it comes to your behaviors and mannerisms. You were programmed. And I always say default because like, the, again, it's important that if you didn't have a, um, a present entity to present these things to you, then 
then you learned by default. So the easy way to look at this is like, I, I generally tend to see people mostly, again, in this dichotomy of one of two categories. It's they are exact replicas of the programming that they received growing up. So, you know, think like, oh my God, you're just like your father. Oh my gosh, you're just like your mother, right? Well, duh, okay. So most of us, that's what we do. Without even trying, we grow up to be exactly who modeled behavior for us growing up. And then on the counter side to that, there are, I think, a smaller amount of people who see, feel, recognize what's happening growing up, and they decide there's absolutely no way I'm going to be that way. I'm going to be the exact opposite of that person. Uh, and that's that's crazy cool, in, in a sense, to me, for somebody to be able to recognize who they want to be and actively choose to do something different because that's you're basically on your own, right? So... Either way, uh, it's really important to note in, in these two scenarios that neither group avoids trauma, okay? So even if you're actively choosing to be a better person, you still have the trauma of your programming. You have the trauma of the deficit of whatever it was that you were feeling from choosing not to be like the programmers or the, the people that raised you. That means that there was probably trauma or something that caused you to say, I, I ain't gonna be like that. And if you were exposed to anything like that as a child, that is automatically trauma. You weren't in a capacity or the wherewithal or the emotional intelligence to be in a place that you couldn't deem yourself safe because somebody else was supposed to be doing that for you. So you're still operating out of trauma. There's nothing wrong with still choosing to be a better person. But I just wanted to plant that seed for you because if you still feel overwhelmed, if you still feel tense, if you still feel anxious about a lot of things and you're not really sure why because you're like, but I've been choosing to do better, that's probably why. It's just usually unresolved issues that you often hyper-focus on the things that you're not going to do to show up to be a better person but you're still thinking about things you're not going to do which are the terrible things so it's a low level feeling emotion that you're associating instead of choosing the better feeling man I just like ripped off like super super fucking fast with that because I couldn't get it out of my mouth fast enough it was like the universe was providing it to me and I didn't even know so uh thank you so much for that okay so back to my notes here okay so when we look at this being based around relationships this is really important and um I mean, I've said that probably four or five times already, but it all is really important because the basis of the world is built around relationships. I think that we're in a really interesting time because uh, with the invention of the internet, it was it's both one of the weirdest blessings and then um, kind of a community curse as well because we thrive as individuals when we are in a community. We thrive when we feel like we're being seen, when we're being heard, when we're being supported, when we can be creative um, in, in a good, safe environment. We've always been that way. And before the white man came and colonized the entire earth and like ruined everything, all other indigenous tribes lived in communities and groups. They might have lived in other indigenous tribes and communities and groups because they didn't necessarily get around along with all the other tribes, but they still lived in tribes. And the reason this is important is, in my opinion, what we've done is we've super, 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 super hyper-focused in the fact that success is all about individualism and it's all about me and capitalism and like the, the great American dream. Um, I was brainwashed into thinking that that too but the problem with that theory is that it, it it makes you think that it's you against the world so when you own a company you don't own it with multiple individuals you own it yourself and then you own the employees and you you give them what you believe they deserve when it comes to money and you take the profits okay this is in the far extreme but I'm giving you an example of how we got here in my opinion right because we started as communities but then we get pushed to individualism so how does that work well yes we still live in towns and we live in um, cities and things like that but now we live in communities that are smaller in terms of neighborhoods and then we live in even smaller individualized houses and apartments. And in the housing section, we have gates and fences that we put up around our houses and we lock our doors and we put cameras around our houses. And I'm not saying that these things aren't warranted or necessary, but 
we've gotten so far from the trust thy neighbor, love thy neighbor, work with thy neighbor, be a community with these, each other too. I don't trust a single licking soul in this vicinity of three to five mile radius that I have put myself in a little combat zone, okay? It, it, that was an extreme exaggeration. But again, we have hyper-individualized self, okay? And I believe, in my opinion, that this is part of our downfall. And with the internet, it's such an interesting conversation because you, at least for me, like I, I knew of introverts and extroverts growing up. I thought I was an extrovert because I didn't know you could be both. And it wasn't until the internet that I started hearing people describe themselves as introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts or whatever. But understanding that maybe sometimes you do really like a lot of energy and a lot of community, but other times you really want to reflect and um, recharge your batteries, which I think all humans need. I think they need both of those things. So I think we're all introverted extroverts. It just kind of depends on which one kind of leads your personality to begin the day with. So why is that so important? Because when we started to learn about this dichotomy of being able to be a little bit of both or having flow or really being like introverted um leading I guess you would say right is that you start seeing all these memes and this conversation around like I don't do people I can't wait to get home and take off my bra like what do you mean you're gonna call me and make plans with me I'm just gonna bail on you five minutes before I just walk out the door right like we can laugh about these things because we've all felt them but again I believe that that's only something that we're we're starting then to idealize in a world of relationships that should be primary we start to idealize the sulkin individual of being alone and wanting to be alone and not liking other people and not liking other people's ideas and things like that that's dangerous territory in my opinion because we don't do well when we don't have other things going on in our life especially relationships relationships are the core of it and there's a hierarchy to relationships right like i don't believe that there should be realistically but i know that there is uh, and I don't know that you really could not. And well, I guess I should rephrase that because obviously it's like your children, of course, are probably always going to come before your family. But how many of us know somebody who are so detached from their mother or their kids um, for safety reasons and they're closer to a spouse who they're not blood related, right? So it's not like you were, you, you chose that partner or you choose your friendship. So it's kind of a muddy water thing. I don't, I don't think I can give you a direct answer right now. I think that you can determine your hierarchy of relationships, but don't let other people do it. Because I think what I'm trying to lean into with this is that we're kind of conditioned to believe that your marriage needs to be top priority, your children need to be top priority. I would probably agree with that, at least in my circumstances, because that's my life. But maybe for you, your children aren't number one. Maybe your job comes first because you feel your identity aligns so much with being a provider that the job has to come first so that you can then provide for the kids. So your list is your own, but making sure that you you understand it, making sure that you prioritize it as necessary, maybe even reevaluate when the seasons of life change. I think those are really important. Really important. And also, where do your programmers fall on that list, right? So the people who did construct your little mindset growing up, where are they? Because I've gone through times where some of those people I cut out of my life because I had a recognition of they should have done better. And that's ego because they did the best they could with what they had. So who am I to be judging them, you know? Um, but it, it, it just is that way. So always sit down and reevaluate when necessary, I believe, okay? Because all relations, not only our relationships obviously have importance, but they also um, create more additional programming, right? Because all of your relations, relationships are going to be triggering something from your previous programming about a relationship. So when you get into an intimate relationship, you're probably going to be triggered by whatever programming or lack thereof you saw around uh, a relationship between two people. So uh, if, you're, if your household had a single parent, if your household had two loving individuals, if your, your household had two parents who fought constantly, if your household had somebody who had one parent but had partners coming in and out, in and out, in and out, you can see how you would get the idea and understanding about what programming 
around relationships going to look like. The more important thing is that obviously, so each relationship has importance and creates programming. But the more important thing, in my opinion, is that all relationships all relationships have the potential for unleashing greatness. I just read this book. Um, it was called Deep Human Connection and Why We All Need It. And I sobbed like a baby through this thing. I think it was a 10-hour audiobook. I... If I can at least count on one hand how many times that book made me cry. And I will digress that it was from the continuation of the conversation last week's podcast. It was the week that I had an extra no period hormone kind of situation going on. So I can't necessarily say that it wasn't a little bit to that. But the book was marvelously written. It was beautifully portrayed. It uh, really drove home this understanding about how important relationships were. I, I can't I can't even tell you enough, but I just really want you to read it, go do it for sure. Because what it, it present, I think what it did for me is that it really started to allow for me to, to subconsciously, but then consciously dissect each of my important relationships. Where when I was growing up, of course, the most important relationship for me was my parents in terms of programming about what I would see and how I would act in the world. And it wasn't great. And I, I had some really good friendships, of course, but it was when I hit college, when I was like officially on my own and didn't really realize that I didn't know that much about the world. Because again, ego, like you're 18, 19, 20, you really think that you know more than you think you do, uh, which you just can't fight because you do know more than you did as a teenager in high school. And now you're being leashed in, unleashed into adult world. So whatever. My point was, is that I had this big, huge aha moment that my best friend from college was really that she was like a lifesaver for me she was the first thing like in terms of a scenario that the book talks about feeling like you had a safe container and this just made so much sense to me he said and the author said um kenneth no kenneth pope maybe um cope cope is the last name i can't remember the first name sorry but he talked about how his grandma and his grandpa were a safe container. His parents were kind of wishy-washy. Like you could tell they wanted kids, but maybe they didn't really want kids. Like they kind of thought they wanted kids, but it was just the idea of having kids. So they were great parents and they did provide, but his first safe containment was with his grandmother. And the way he describes it was just, it's just, it's a, it's a feeling of safety and security. It's a, it's a person, it's a place you can be when you feel not judged, you can express yourself fully, that you can test the waters and know that you're not going to be scolded or um, casted away or whatever. It's all of these things that it's, it's so important for every single human to get them. And you might not get it in one person as he went through the entire book to describe each relationship and the level of importance. It was beautiful. So he did talk about very similar how he had a relationship right out of college with a best friend and it was a life changer. And this was my friend for me. And I had to message her and voice message her. And I was just like I was sobbing through it because I really truly felt like if I would not have went away to college and I found her, she found me, we found each other. I don't know that I, by the, by the way, had as much of an impact on her life as she has had for me, but she really was that first truly safe container for me. It was this truly non-judgmental I could say whatever I wanted with I mean you know I'm not with not with regard to like telling her she was a bad friend like with what was going on in my life and not feeling judged I would I knew that I was going to walk away feeling better about me or some guidance in my life and this was all subconscious so relationships have the potential they have the potential and regardless of sex is involved or not to be really big life changers for you in programmers so make sure that you remember that so that's like the first section right that I wanted to talk about. The next section I want to talk about is like this idea about sexual identity and preference, really about primal uh, mating mode. Okay. We can talk about sexual identity and preference, which we have in previous podcasts. It's, it's not really something I get to dissect here 
in great length. The short end of this is that your sexual identity is how you identify. Identity equals identify, right? So me, myself, I feel like a heterosexual cis woman. I feel like I was born in a female presenting body and my brain feels that way too. I feel like I match up, right? So your sexual identity um, would be that, okay? So Oh, wait, am I saying this wrong? Because I'm talking about that. That's talking about gender. That's just talking about gender specifically. But identity is is still kind of in that realm. See, it's so messy that it's just that it's all a spectrum. Okay, so when you identify as like man, woman, and you identify as um, both, you can identify as non-binary, you can identify as fluid, you can identify of all of these things. So it's just a made of concept. We made this up. Like, we think that we're right when we made up this fact that there's man and woman. But who's to say? And why would you say that? We all know when we have met male-presenting humans who have very feminine-like traits and qualities. And we usually associate them as gay or homosexual. And we're probably not very far off. But how many of us have also met straight men who have a little femininity to them? How many of us have met very masculine women, but they still very much are into men. How many of us have met very masculine women who are into women? So there's so much of a spectrum. We just don't have enough time, but just know that there's really, there's nothing, there is no identity. We're making it up. Okay. We're making it up. And when you come to sexual preference, it's kind of similar, but it's who you then are attracted to. Sexual identity is how you identify personally. Sexual preference is then what you are attracted to. The preference having in your bedroom. How about that? Okay. Super easy. Now, sexual preference is also just made up, right? Because if I say, oh, I like penis, then that would be an assumption in the old days that I liked men. But as we know today, there are some trans women who are born with male presenting genitalia, because that's the term we gave it to them, or in society, I guess you'd say. But biologically, in their hearts and their minds, they feel feminine. So they might have surgery to readjust this. Maybe they might not, they may not. They may walk around in long hair and clothing and makeup, but they might still have a penis underneath their pants. And that is identity. I'm sorry, preference. God damn it. I don't mean to screw that up. I'm sorry. That's about preference. So when I say I'm attracted to a penis, which is weird, okay, because a penis is not necessarily a person. It's, it can be attached to many different types of people. So I think it's important that really right here you wash it because you probably already do have a preference. You might like masculine presenting people, which makes way more sense than saying I like a penis. No, I like, I like somebody who presents masculine, who makes me feel secure, who would probably go out and chop some wood. Now, would I be able to find that in somebody who was born with a vulva or somebody who was born with a penis? Because we both know that women can be masculine, right? So that's about the preference. So they're both made up. Okay. I just wanted to kind of plant that seed in that conversation about that. Uh, one of the best TikToks I ever, 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 ever heard, and I don't even know where I could find it out because it was almost a year ago maybe that I heard it, was somebody I'd have to make an assumption, assuming makes me an ass out of you and me, of course, but uh, male presenting, at least identifying markers as we would culturally take that, probably homosexual because he was feminine. So again, making an assumption, but just to paint the picture for you uh, of the TikTok, he said, I, I digress if he identifies this male. Okay. <laughs> um, your sexual preference is who you want to have sex with. And I just love that, right? Because maybe today you do really like a masculine presenting person. Maybe tomorrow you like an incredibly feminine person. Maybe in, in uh, Wednesday you like somebody who's in between. Why does it matter? Why does it make a difference? It should not make a difference. It does make a difference. Of course, culturally speaking, people are making a big deal about it, but why? There's varying degrees of pleasure and pleasure is pleasure. So you should be able to have sex with whoever you want to, as long as you're safe and consenting and they are too. So why do I say that? Um, this is important. Like you say, Pleasure is pleasure and there's varying degrees of it. One of the very best exercises I try to give people is to do the, this feels good, I want more. Because you would never hesitate in a minute 
Um, even subconsciously, if you were eating your favorite dessert to go, mmm, this is good, I want more. Maybe you're getting a professional massage and you're like, oh, this feels good, I want more. You wouldn't hesitate to do those things. But in the bedroom, there's an immediate like shutdown for most people where that feels dirty, that feels sinful, that feels gross. I can't say that. My partner might judge me. So we don't say it. So even if you need to start with in your brain, start to say, this feels good, I want more. Practice is fantastic. Okay, but the reason I say that's important is because like, would anybody necessarily give two shits about who you were having dinner with Nah, probably not would anybody give two shits about who you decided to build a home with Nah, probably not but for some reason everybody thinks it's everybody else's business about who you decide to experience orgasms with okay how how is it different it's not different, right? We are not animals. We are not, we are not deer. We are not elephants. We are not any type of animal that goes through a season of breeding, right? We choose when we want to procreate. Obviously, we have times where our body is probably seeking it out more, evolutionarily speaking. But as conscious human beings, we get to choose when we have sex, just like we choose when we eat, just like we choose when we build lives with other people. So we can't make this distinction that it is any of our business who people are having sex with as long as they're being safe and consenting when it's not. We don't bug deer. We don't bug elephants. We don't be like, well, why are you having sex with that particular deer? Why are you having sex with that particular elephant? And I know it sounds really silly, but doesn't it sound really silly? So why do we care? We shouldn't care, okay? Because in this instance, the body is just a body. It just is. It just is a body. Remember that when you die, it is the only thing that stays here. Everything, including your brain. What, what goes wherever we go? Okay, you can believe whatever you want to in terms of the afterlife, but what goes? It's your spirit. It's your energy. It's the thing that gets this thing going, the body, the skin suit, right? You could fuel the body with food and water, but it's still not going to move. It's still not going to do the things and it needs to until the electromagnetic energy pulsing through your body from the heart beating uh, to the fascia energy moving throughout your, your chakras. That is the thing that gets you going. That's the thing that moves you. So your skin cells are just something that decided to formulate in one particular manner and they look the way they look, the way the houses look different, the way that animals look different, the way that everything is different on planet Earth. We have to stop giving so much power to the identifying marker of the body because everybody is different and then ironically we're not that different we're not that different have you ever seen like um you know like a funny like a little buzzfeed clip where it's like nicholas cage must have been a time traveler here's a picture from world war ii of a guy that looks just like him um when i was younger i was like word that's probably true uh, i've mentioned this before but i'm gonna say this again after doing parties for nine years and i'm reminding you that i am in just like one particular area that i've held my business primarily obviously i have other cities and a little bit of other states but let's just be safe to say that my radius is about two hours from lincoln Two hours from Lincoln, majority of the time, nine years of partying. I can't tell you how many I have met of you that you guys look alike and you don't even know. I cannot tell you how many of you I have met a doppelganger that I was like, damn, that really looks like so-and-so. I don't wonder if they know each other. I wonder if they're related and you have no idea. And you're from different cities or you're from different states. Or sometimes you're from the exact same community and you have no idea. You have to believe me when I tell you this. We look so much more alike than people ever give us credit for. And I think you see this more and more. Like if you watch the show Yellowstone, just as an example, we were watching this the other day and Kevin Costner is the main character in that show. And um, the, the dude, I can't remember his name, the dude that's in Sweet Home Alabama plays the younger version of Kevin Costner. And it's like, word, that looks just like him. And how many times have we seen that even from time to time now where we're like, that celebrity looks like that celebrity and we know that they don't have anything in common. So people can look like other people. Why is that important? Because skin cells are just that. Now, if you put Kevin Costner and his doppelganger up side by side, are they the same person? 
No. Are they even remotely the same person? Probably not. They probably have different likes, different interests, different values, but their bodies might look similar. So why is that important? Because you need to get over what your body looks like. Your body has nothing to do per se with your level of uh, pleasure that you can receive when it comes to sex. It doesn't. It is just about form and functionality. Okay. Literally. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. Okay. This is a lesson I think I'm going to start teaching in 2022 when it comes to quote unquote adult sexual education. Okay. Because when we strip things down to the actual function of what they do, I think that this helps. At least it does for me because I'm an intellectual person. So when things start connecting with me woohoo like if somebody can logically explain it to me, then it starts to make sense. And this is what I mean. If we can strip out the emotion of sex and talk about the functionality of what the bodies do, I think it'll start to make a little bit more sense because we're the ones that are really getting it mucky and muddy with the programming, the programming cultural society. Okay. So, um, let's talk about the function of sex, right? Because the penis, well, theoretically the testicles ejaculate semen no differently than the heart beats. It's about purpose and function. The air that goes in and out of your lungs that pulsates, uh, pulsates oxygen through the body is not different than the clitoris engorging with blood until the nerve endings explode with delight, okay? It's function, it's purpose, okay? So when we talk about reproduction, this is the way that this works, okay? And you, uh, this is more difficult because you can't see me, but if you are somebody who's ever seen pornography, if you're somebody who's ever seen a sex scene, like an actual sex scene, you're gonna be able to resonate with this theoretically. But we do, most of us know that uh, when it comes to procreation, it's going to, re it doesn't actually require penetration, but it's going to increase the chances with penetration from a penis and a vulva. Okay. So it's not ironic that when you're looking at the shape and um, identifying markers of the penis, there's three main components. You have the tip of the penis, you have the shaft of the penis, and you have the testicles. Now, if you've ever been a little bit curious, I highly recommend going and doing the Google because if you didn't know, the testicles are actually like, everybody starts off as a woman, or I guess you'd say theoretically as a woman. They have female parts. Every baby, every zygote starts with a vulva. And when the body or whatever chromosomes decide it's going to be more masculine, uh, starts to develop the human body, the clitoris actually extends in length. The testicles are the vulva that closes up because it's not being needed when the cells are developing and deciding how to show up, okay? Because again, it's just about functionality. That's how closely related we really are to each other. So closely related. Why is that important? Well, because the clitoris is the most sensitive part of, um, as far as we know, of female anatomy when it comes to intimacy needs. The tip of the penis is for males or identifying people with penises, I'm sorry. So that makes sense. Clitoris is morally sensitive. The tip of the penis is really sensitive, right? The testicles are what deliver uh, the the semen to the ova. Your ova are inside your body, very similar looking like the vast deference, by the way. So there's so many things that are so similar to that. But if the tip of the penis is the most sensitive part of the penis and the first one to three inches are the most sensitive part of the vaginal walls, which makes sense because it's all connected to all that bundle of nerve endings, which is external of the vulva anyway. So I hope you're sticking with me. But penetration when you talk about deep penetration that's such a misconception that's about performance through porn that most of us learn that especially men men might enjoy deep penetration just because of the deep thrusting or whatever i'm not a penis i'm not a penis i'm not a man i don't have a penis so i couldn't obviously vouch for that but when it comes to pleasure for both partners but especially partners with the vulva 
the deep penetration doesn't do anything. Like that's the canal that's leading to the cervix that will house the baby. So that's all about, again, functionality, okay? But I believe in my heart of hearts that the pleasure purpose um, of sex also has a functionality too. So we're gonna talk about this, right? So if the tip of the penis is, is starting to insert inside the vaginal walls, right there in the very beginning of the opening, this is why, especially for bodies who are fully preheated, fully turned on, Penetration actually feels amazing. It feels amazing. If you've ever had sex and it was painful, strong indication the body wasn't ready because partners with vulvas need 18 to 24 minutes of foreplay where partners with penises only need about 10 seconds to be fully aroused. And that's in varying degrees of age and, um, and relationship experience and so on and so forth. It, it makes sense. Most of us know that when it comes to a penis. They don't need very much. And I also will say that... Um, they have a very good visual representation of that arousal too. It's much more difficult in the feminine body, I think. Uh, but ironically, all of those things are still happening in the female body too. There's not a whole lot of things externally besides potential natural lubrication that would be a visual indicator of what's going on. And that's why communication is so important. And we'll talk about the third, the, the third portion of this in a minute too, to really kind of bring this all together. But when we're looking at this expectation, right? The more preheating the body goes through, the better, especially for the feminine body, because uh, blood flows to the right areas like your nipples and to your breasts and to your vulva, to your clitoris. And that's what foreplay is, is the movement of blood flow. It's a conglomeration of blood flow in certain areas, which is really going to heighten the experience in the nerve endings. And so when you have the proper amount of blood flow, especially in the cervix and the, the vulva and the uterus and the G spot, which is connected to your clitoris and all that jazz, the, the um, clitoris actually visually becomes bigger, just like a male erection does because it has more blood flow. So it is imperative and important that we are building these little blue blue maps, blue maps, how about blueprints to show our partners a treasure map and that we're actively engaging in each other so that we can discover this. Because when the feminine body, the vulva, has enough time to really catch up to what's going on, especially if the brain is trying to slow that process down because we're so disconnected, the brain has so much power in the bedroom that we're not utilizing it in the right way. So when we're going through the right processes, the vagina is is intrinsically evolved. It knows, oh, okay, this process means that we're potentially, well, body thinks we're gonna have a baby. We're gonna make a baby. So I need to open up the vaginal walls to prepare for this penis to come into this body because that penis is gonna bring semen and semen's going to impregnate this ova, which is the job. That's what I'm supposed to do. So I'm gonna go ahead and open up these walls so that's more comfortable, more enjoyable. I'm gonna let that penis come on in, okay? So penis is like, hey, yep, I do wanna come in. Uh, and it starts to enter. And that's why that first one to three inches, I think that evolutionary, evolutionarily speaking, when it's done right, that's why it's so pleasurable because it's like this cue to you and your body. Yep, this is what we're supposed to do. Yep, this is why it's meant to be. Yep, this is exactly what, keep going, keep going, keep going, okay? So deep penetration again, not so great. But the first one to three inches, that is all the nerve rich endings that both both partners theoretically have on the penis and the vulva. So that's feeling really good. If you've ever talked, I've ever heard about like um, the froggy style position, which is just like modified woman on top where you're instead of on your knees on top, you can actually get on your feet because you control death and penetration. This is why in doggy style position, it can be amazing, especially if you back up into your partner and kind of guide uh, that depth and penetration instead of letting your partner do it. That's why the orgasm experience can be so intense because you're doing it properly. You're doing it evolutionarily speaking. It just makes sense, right? When we do things that the way your body's formed and functioned to do so, the same way when you learn how to swim right, the same way you learn how to run right, then things just kind of flow into place better. So that's 
my opinion on that. And the reason I think that this is, is because when the penis actually ejaculates the sperm, it, I don't even know, but it's an insane amount. Like it's like what, 10, 15, 20 miles an hour. I don't know. Okay. Like I think it's upwards of that, but it's, it needs to, because it needs to get some force to the upward trajectory trajectory. I'm sorry, of the feminine body, right. To get to that ova, to get at that egg. But if you're doing things properly and the feminine body is also having an orgasm, most of us who have experienced good orgasms, we know it feels like um, contractions are happening inside the body because that's what it is. It's literally the the wall, the muscles are contracting back and forth. It's incredibly pleasurable when you do it right. But the problem, in my opinion, is that some people, they don't, they don't know how to orgasm properly or they're not orgasming to their full potential. If your orgasms are fast, if they're kind of like, nah, I mean, it's hard to explain in terms of comparison because there's nothing wrong with an orgasm. But most of us were raised or um, experienced our first sexual anythings uh, when we weren't supposed to necessarily. So we felt hushed and rushed. I think that's such a great way to explain it because maybe you were trying to keep quiet from your parents. Maybe you were trying to like stay in a closet for 10 minutes with your, you know, at a party with your, it doesn't matter. But most of us, we were hushed and rushed, especially again for the female body. That's the opposite of what we want to do. We need to slow things down. We need to be breathing deep. We need to move things in flow of our body. And so again, another barrier to experiencing pleasure the right way, we're doing everything wrong. We're doing everything quite the opposite of what the feminine body especially needs uh, to experience the right amount of pleasure to, I mean, just done, experience the right amount of pleasure, okay? So that makes sense because if your uterine walls are contracting greater and deeper, so if you're having better orgasms, longer, stronger orgasms, more frequent orgasms, the chances are going to increase that when the partner with the penis ejaculates, that you are also going to orgasm at the same time or still be orgasming where those contractions are still happening in the uterine walls. So that contraction, in my opinion, is evolutionarily speaking, uh, imperative, well, it's not imperative because you can get pregnant without it, but it, it helps, it helps to pull the sperm up into the ovaries, okay? So that's all about function again, okay? So it wasn't sexy talk, hopefully. Um, it, it wasn't meant to be sexy talk because when we can get the idea of the functionality, it makes more sense. When we have stripped out the emotion and we understand, oh, I get it. It's not different than learning to drive a car. How many of you were so unbelievably anxious when you first started learning to drive a car that you forget to put your seatbelt on or you forget to check your rearview mirror or you forget um, whatever. Or like when, you know, okay, when you're overwhelmed, right? You're overwhelmed. I was just going to say like when you get somewhere and you turn the, the volume down on whatever you're listening to because you have to function and concentrate. It's not different. Right when you start, when you're trying to do all the things at once, you, it's you're nearly impossible to be amazing at it. Right, you're still learning, you're still kind of guiding yourself. That makes sense. But some of us are still bad drivers at 36 because we never figured out how to drive right. We never took the time to kind of figure out what our flow was. We never gave ourselves a repetition or a routine of I get in, I check my rearview mirror, I buckle my seatbelt, I adjust my other mirrors, whatever, whatever. That's what you need to be doing. So we'll move on to section three to kind of tie this together, right? So the first portion of that we talked about kind of the expectation in terms of programming and where did it come from and what are your ideas around sex and intimacy. Moving into, you know, sexual identity and preference to primal mating mode and understanding the functionality of the body itself. Moving into the third component, which is all about emotions. Ah, don't freak out. Don't bail just yet because this is probably one of the, the most lacking components to it, but ironically, it like overwhelms everybody because you operate from your feelings whether you know it or not. I mean, I think you know it, but we just don't associate how deeply they really run everything. And your emotions are your sixth sense. Like, it just is baffles me. I don't know if it's like really been left out intentionally or just something that we're really not comprehending. It's a sense. Okay. You can use your eyes to see. You can use your hands to touch. It's not the same as feeling. You can use your, your tongue to taste, of course. Um, smelling. I don't know if I missed anything. But anyways, 
your feeling is your sixth sense. The body feels things, okay? It's your emotion. You emote the experience, okay? So feeling and emotions are two different things. You feel the feeling and the emotion um, comes through, okay? So one of the exercises that really helps me with this is like if you're ever fighting with somebody or you're, you're feeling a certain kind of emotion in general, it's like where are you feeling it? Because a lot of us don't ever stop to think about that. Like when you start to pinpoint where anger, I read a book, oh my gosh, of course you're surprised, right? I wish I could remember which book it was, but it talked about like certain emotions tend to show up in certain parts of the body. Like when you feel anger, you probably tend to feel that in your face and your chest. Like you get flushed, you get angry, you get hot, right? I know like, like for me, when I start to get fearful, I feel it in my chest and sometimes like my upper tummy, like not my lower abdomen, but I start to feel like this fluttery feeling there, like the unsuredness, like that's where I start to feel that. Um, there was like another, I don't even know. Like I would, I just wish I could have remembered it, but we really do experience feelings in our body and our emotion, right? Is now I'm angry. So now I'm going to yell. That is me and my programming of how I was taught that when I feel that feeling in my body, this is the emotion I'm going to feel that's associated to it. Okay. That was really difficult because this is not something that I'm definitely not great at yet. Uh, but I'm definitely so much better than I was two years ago, three years ago, even really a year ago, because I put so much more intention into the, like taking a deep breath, pausing for a moment recognizing what the actual emotion is that I'm feeling trying to decipher is this a feeling that's happening because of what's happening in this moment that whoever I'm talking to whoever is making me feel this way is that truly the actual representation of this present moment or is this from past programming from the last time somebody made me feel this way and I associated it and then I programmed it as my habit from 21 times it happened in 90 days made a lifestyle so which is it Okay, that's difficult because it's exhausting. <laughs> Did you hear all the things I just had to go through to decide how I wanted to show up in this very next moment that's about to happen to me? But it's also so much better than the default programming of fear and rejection and hatred and anger, resentment, whatever, whatever, when I really could just go, oh, this isn't about me. I'm going to choose a better feeling. I saved myself in the long run. Okay, and ultimately I'm starting to program myself that that becomes my new habit, that I don't pro or pull from the previous experience that I pull from the current experience and choose how I want to be now. All right. So you assign the emoting of the experience yourself. You do that more often. Again, from your programming, you watch other people do it. You, um, just as an example, like if somebody yelled at you all the time when you were a kid, you might not yell at everybody else now when you are an adult, but you might feel utter shame anytime you emote. What is the word I'm looking for? remotely remotely feel a feeling of fear rejection or whatever okay so let's say the example of roller coasters i think this is a good easy one right because roller coasters you can have the same tummy feeling in two different people and you say hey person a do you like uh, riding roller coasters and they're like oh my gosh can't get enough of it it's like my favorite that feeling in your tummy it's like the excitement about what's to come and you ask person number two and you're like hey do you like riding roller coasters and they're like oh my god i can't stand it that feeling that happens in my tummy oh that loss of control mm -mm, not, not knowing what's gonna happen next pass so same exact feeling that multiple people feel when it comes to the same type of experience but we assigned the feeling. We assigned the feeling to the experience. And so now we have programmed that person number one is always going to love rolling roller coasters. Person number two is always going to get anxious even the thought of roller coasters. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. Okay. So our default programming, our default to programming around each emotion before sexual experiences and or intimacy that happen, hopefully, right? Uh, leads into sex and intimacy, okay? So when we're young, of course, we don't know how to associate um, feelings of arousal or feelings of consent or feelings of being hit on. We don't know any of those because hopefully those things aren't happening to us in an inappropriate age, 
right? But those immature associations translate to those grown-up experiences, right? Like when I'm attracted to somebody and I put myself out there and they reject me, then little four-year-old, five-year-old Rachel goes back to the first time they rejected sexual um, encounter or not because it's still about rejection. And I... Well, Rachel, personally, in 2018, Rachel, I'm y'all, rejection I did not do good with. I would spiral and, like, try to cling faster. Oh, my God. Not cute. Not cute. Okay? But that's how those will end up manifesting into the adult experience. So if no expectations have been set or discussed, understood and agreed upon, conflict with one or both people in the relationship is doomed to happen. And I'm going to also just kind of give you a little bit of grace here because I think that expectations or a loss, a lack thereof in any given situation, not just personal and intimate relationships, is exactly where we're always going wrong. Do you have clear expectations about how you're supposed to show up as an employee? Has your boss given you those? As a boss or a leader, have you given clear expectations to your employers how to show up and employees how to show up, sorry. And are you doing that frequently? Are you touching base with them when things change? Are you being transparent with them and letting them know so they can prepare or to try to flow better for you? Um, how about expectations between parent and child? Do your children know exactly how they're supposed to be showing up, quote unquote, as children in the world for you? Not for you, realistically, but is that what you think? Okay, how about you? Have you asked them what they think a parent needs to be showing up for? What are the expectations of kids? You know, kids have expectations. They might be really low bar, but it be, wouldn't it be really nice if you knew what they were so you could exceed them or make sure that you're validating to them that their experiences are being done? How about like an ex uh, the expectation of friendships, right? Like if my expectation of friendships is that my girlfriends and I get together once a month, but my girlfriends are totally content with doing, you know, phone calls only, there's a lack in our relationship and nobody knows it because I think that they're, they're skimming me and they think things are okay because nobody talked about what the expectation was. So I think that this is one of the easiest ways for us to fix things, but it's one of the hardest things because none of us do it. None of us know, number one, that we're supposed to be. Number two, we don't really even expect that somebody else is going to have different expectations of what a relationship is going to look like because we just automatically assume that what I came from is the way relationships go. And what I assume is that you would know how a relationship functions because you're now an adult as well. But that's not true at all because if I grew up in a household where people constantly fought because it led to a divorce uh -uh, for sure but my partner grew up in a household where it was two loving individuals who didn't really have to talk much about conflict because it really really rarely was conflict then that's a recipe for disaster because all I want to do is fight all the time because that's how my parents talked and that person my partner doesn't want to to fight all the time because they never had to witness that okay that was just an example because my husband's family is also divorced by the way <laughs> okay but there's always going to be conflict always going to be conflict with one or both people in the relationship when we haven't been very clear. So this is something that I preach at my parties to people. I really think that this is something that needs to be done often as well, whether it's been through a major milestone or maybe just quarterly, or maybe you make it a new year's resolution. What are our goals in this relationship? What do you expect from the partner? Like in mine, obviously I'm just going to give you an example because it just, uh, it's visually, it makes sense. Like as a, as, as my husband, what do you have it as an expectation as a wife and mother for your kids and for you? What do you expect? Because maybe he's got expectations that I'm going to clean, clean and cook every night when he gets home, the house is going to be immaculate. Maybe he expects that I'm going to stay home with the kids, right? Again, I'm just giving you examples, right? But if I have the expectation that I'm going to go out and be an entrepreneur and that our children are not going to daycare because I don't want them in daycare, that somebody's going to be raising them, it's going to be my husband, then we're going to have major conflict if we have not sat down and said, well, neither of us plans to be the full-time stay-at-home parent. We either need to make this work or find a full-time nanny. Then that makes sense. Nobody's mad because we're finding a solution that feels good to both of us that our child is in good hands, but we both get to pursue the things that are most important to us that make us good human beings to come back and feel purposeful, to feel fulfilled. Okay, so the same is the same is 
true with sex and intimacy. And I think it's obviously one of the hardest ones because there's such a dichotomy, that negativity about the look at me, but don't look at me when it comes to sex in the Western culture. We have to do this ourselves. There, there is no if, ands, or buts about it. Nobody's going to sit you down and say, here's what it's going to take to have a great relationship unless they already have. Then kudos to them and make sure you give them a gold star. But most of us are not growing up in households and religions and um, in, any set, in any, any type of situation that's promoting this great conversation. I will, I'll share with you, which I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised, that guilt and shame are going to be the most often felt things when it comes to sex and intimacy in bodies, especially. Uh, but rejection, being feeling unappreciated, feeling misunderstood, pre-resentment, full-on resentment, and disgust are among some of the others. So these are things that if you start to trigger yourself by feeling them, remember, I'm going to be back it up for a second, your partner, your friends, your family, anybody you have relationships with, they're never making you feel like anything. You need to hear my heart when I say that. That's very difficult because we do. We feel like they said that thing, they did that thing, they're making me feel a certain way. That's not true. They did something and they they said something, but what it did is it sparked a trigger from your previous programming. It reminded your emotions that at some point you felt something similar to this and you didn't like it. So now you're feeling the anger of how could I feel rejected? How could I feel alone? How could I feel whatever? So now I need to act the same way I did last time because my body wants me to because it's all my body knows. It's the same way that if I was walking with two feet in front of me, the same way I've done every single day all my life, but all of a sudden tomorrow everybody woke up and was walking backwards except for me, I'm not going to be able to do it immediately. It's going to take me some time to reflect and figure that out, okay? So super important that you get very clear about your feelings, your emotions, the things that arise in you, locate where they are, take some deep breaths, get grateful for things because it's totally free and easy to do that before you approach a situation. Breathing is number one, my biggest focus right now because it's free, you can take it with you anywhere. There's really no excuse, um, you know, like with my meditation, because I'm not great at meditating by myself, like I can blow that off because I don't have the time necessarily if Olivia wakes me up in the morning before to listen to a guided meditation via headphones. But breathing is something that literally I'm carrying with me in my lungs all the time. So practicing good breath, so easy, so important, and so free to do. Because when you get into your flight, fight, or freeze mode because of whatever's going on in your relationships, right? You're feeling a certain way that's not a good feeling. Your body is reacting because the feelings are showing up in your chest, in your head, in your face, just like we were just talking about. So your body is going through one of those sensations of fight, flight, or freeze. So breath is going to help parasympathetic nervous system slow down. It's going to override the primal instinct of I don't feel safe so I need to heighten the breath so you can run away if you need to. I'm going to heighten the breath so you can punch this thing in the face if you need to. Fight or flight, right? Uh, Or freeze, which is Rachel's tendency to do, which does nothing but then opossum style, okay? Uh, So it's overriding all of that of, okay, okay, okay. Deep breath is, okay, okay, body. Breathe deep to slow it down. 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 Focus on the moment, focus on the moment, focus on the moment, focus on the moment here and now, focus on the moment. So this is not like the dialogue that I say in my head, but that's what you're doing is you're literally overriding the body trying to use the programmed habit of the feeling, okay? So if you're somebody who is anxious or depressed, this is such a useful tool because breath work can 1000% change the way that you're feeling in three to five breaths, three to five breaths, okay? So these are just some experience, or not experiences, I'm sorry, some things that I thought we could really talk about today to really start planting the seeds for great sex and super, super strong intimacy. The deservedness that you are in a great experience and you should be in that 
pleasures your God-given birthright, understanding the functionality of your body and the fact that skin cells are just that. They showed up the way they decided to show up. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your body. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, you have nerve endings from the top of your head through the tips of your toes. So theoretically, anything can and should feel good when you're in a loving, consent consenting relationship. So just practice. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about at parties is I say it's fun homework. It's fun homework discovering your little hot button zones. It really is. And when you can discover those in true authenticity, then you can disclose them to a partner and then you can enjoy it together. What's better than eating cake alone is sharing with your best friend, right? So it's not different. It's not different. So um, make sure that you're, you know, hopefully, I don't know if you took some notes or if you got some truth bumps from this, but just understanding that, you know, sex, sex it exists for a reason. Not only, I mean, it was originally just for procreation, but as we know, we've evolved. We're not just human beings that are animal instinct things. Okay, I totally fucked that up, but you know what I'm saying? We we have become conscious creators. And creation is about love and sex and intimacy as well. That is something that you're creating. You're creating something raw and amazing between two energy sources. That's cool. That's pretty cool, I think. So it's ironic as I'm winding down the podcast um, to, you know, season two wrap up here that I feel like I'm getting a little bit better about the content that's rolling out. And I don't know what's going on, but I am definitely just in the flow of it. I am asking the universe to give me the guidance of what to do, how to do, get clear uh, about the focuses. So it's interesting to see where we go. As I'd mentioned, I know for sure I'll be taking a small break from the podcast of season two. I don't know how long um, or what, but we got some really interesting things to cover, I think, in the next two weeks just to see how we can wrap up 2021 to really make sure that we're kicking off 2022 with a hell of a bang. A hell of a bang. So if you got some value from this yourself, thank you so much for being here. Screenshot it. Send it to me. Let me know you listened uh, if you'd like. Make sure you could also send this information to somebody else if you feel like they get some value from it. You don't have to send it like on their Facebook wall. You can just copy the link and send it on over and they can listen when they have some time if they want. Uh, but I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for letting me into your world, really sticking through this with me, um, being a part of the validation and the content that rolls out. It's, it's because of you. It's because of you, you guys. I could be in my head doing this shit all by myself, working a nine to five, but like living and breathing intimacy coaching, you just can't not practice it. I mean, you just can't to not, I mean, I can, but I wouldn't be very good at what I did. I would suspect, right? So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for everything that you do. I know that you know it, but it never, never gets old for me to be able to share it with you. And um, as we move forward, of course, I would like to share with you the normal of stay happy, stay healthy, wash your hands. And I mean, I don't know where you're located. I mean, I know where most of you are located. My stats tell me. But here in Lincoln, Nebraska, we literally had a tornado warning on December 15th, 2021. Completely unprecedented, completely unheard of. We had touchdowns throughout the state as well. It, it was crazy insane. So when I say when I say stay happy, when I say stay happy and stay healthy, I truly effing mean it. And weirdly enough, in the month of December, I would still say wash your hands a little extra. Make sure that you're doing your yoga. Get to talk therapy. Get to a gym. Whatever it is, you need to move your body to build up that immunity for sure. But I mean, it's just crazy bonkers weird. <laughs> just pray to the universe and connect with your God for crying out loud because that's really the only thing I got for you. I think that's going to keep you the safest of all the things. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Great weekend and all or well, week so far, and I'll see you for the next podcast. Bye bye.